through the book of Genesis. Uh, This is month three or four in Genesis. We'll be in Genesis 31 to 33 this morning. As I was driving this morning to this facility, this question came into my mind. How many of you enjoy driving in Charlotte? From the, from the Autobahn we call 485 to the drag strip of W.T. Harris at every stoplight. It's like, all right, when are you going to turn green? When are you going to turn green? I'm flooring it. So like this is, how many of y'all enjoy this? How many of y'all enjoy the challenges, the fears, the risk of life driving in Charlotte? Again, this morning, as I was driving here, I was once again reminded of God's sustaining power in my life, his hand of protection over my life. Uh, The other day, we were going to campus, and Megan and Jordan were riding with me, so they can attest to this. Christy and the boys can attest to this as well. I've definitely picked up some offensively-minded driving habits over the past. I can attribute that to maybe living in India for a season. Um, I could attribute it to even this morning, like mourning the loss of of Duke last night. Um, But many of my driving habits pale in comparison to the craziness that happens on the roads in this city. I have people zipping and running by me so fast. It's just like, whoa, what are you doing? And every time a close call happens on these roads, We should be reminded of God's control in our lives and how he sustains and protects us even in the mundane of driving each day, right? Just that simple reminder, I made it from point A to point B. Praise God for protecting me. He was with me. Throughout our lives, we can can look back and see where God has sustained us through sickness, through health, through broken relationships, And even through loved ones dying, we see God's hand over our lives. We see him protecting and sustaining us. We have a sustainer and a protector who watches over us and leads us. We live in a broken world where where sin not only affects the creation around us, but it also affects our lives inwardly and outwardly. Our relationships are broken as believers We make decisions that can lead to abundant fruit or can lead to devastating consequences. And that's what we've seen over the past few chapters in Genesis. In in Genesis 31-42, this is a key text for our passage today. Jacob is talking to Laban, his father-in-law. At this point, Jacob now is running away from Laban. He's fleeing with his family And Laban catches up, and this is what Jacob says. If the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had not been on my side, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. God saw my affliction in the labor of my hands and rebuked you last night. You see, as we go about our lives, there will be affliction, there will be enemies, there will be trials. Yet for those who have believed in Jesus... We serve a God who sees and sustains us as we live in dependence upon him. So in these these chapters today, 31 to 33, the big idea that I want you to take home 
is God sustains his people as we live in dependence upon him. From, from something as simple as driving on a road, we see God's hand of, susten- of sustaining on us. To life's big decisions, to making moves, to changing careers, we see God sustaining his people as we live in dependence upon him. I want to pray for our time in the word this morning, and then we will jump into 31 to 33. Our Father, again, we're just grateful. Grateful that you've seen fit to gather us this morning. Father, we do gather in the name of Jesus. We, we want to lift him high. We want to exalt him. We want our neighbors, our friends, our co-workers, our family to know him, to bow the knee to King Jesus. Oh God, even now as we, as we look into Genesis 31 to 33, we pray that your spirit would help us that your spirit would fill us and lead us and give us clarity in this text that it may not be just words on a page, but that it may have power to cause us to live in obedience, to live in a, a life worthy of the calling to which we've been called. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. So through the chapters today that we'll cover, you'll see as we walk through chapter 31 and chapter 33, introduce family conflict. Uh, I'm not going to do a raise of hands, but I know the majority of us in here have suffered, faced, maybe enjoyed some family conflict in our lives, right? We've had family conflict. Chapter 32 sits in the middle of chapter 31 and 33. And in chapter 32, we see an encounter with God that has lasting effects on this family. It's the climax of our story today. Jacob has a wrestling match with a mysterious man. A mysterious man. Back in chapter 28, verse 12, the Lord promised Jacob. We we saw this last week. The Lord promised Jacob he would be with him and that he would bring him back to the land. He said, I'll be with you and I'll bless you and I will bring you back to this land that you're leaving. 20 years have passed as we come into chapter 31. So from 2812 to 31, 20 years have passed. And God is now telling him, go back. It's time to go home. If you remember, Rebecca told him, hey, go for a few days to your, to your uncle Laban. We want you to find a wife there. A few days turned into 20 years. He's promised. God has promised he'll be with him. And now Jacob is ready to go, depending on God, and trusting him to to, to sustain him on this journey. There are a multitude of ways that we've seen God sustain, not only Jacob, but also the other, the the parents and the, the, the brothers and sisters of this family throughout Genesis. There's a multitude of ways that he sustained Jacob over these 20 years. Today, we're gonna see three of them. The first way that we've seen Jacob sustained in this passage, is that God sustains us. He sustained Jacob. He sustains us in our journey. Chapter 31 begins with us seeing Jacob being told to go back, return home. God is directing Jacob, and he promises, I'll be with you. I'll be with you. There's conflict in Jacob's life right now. It's been, it's been brought about by jealousy in the heart. Rachel's, Rachel's dad Rachel and Leah's dad and her brothers, they're jealous because Jacob has increased in wealth. He has abundance, and they're seeing it. It's all come from Laban. 
from his livestock, from his, from his sheep and his goats. And then also in this, in this chapter, we see Laban, who once favored Jacob, has now lost favor with Jacob. So the family is in disarray. The family has conflict. And now God is saying, it's time to return. It's time to go back to your home. So Jacob calls his wives, Rachel and Leah, and says, hey, I want to explain to you the problem. And then I want to explain to you, explain to you the plan that we're going to do. The problem is that Jacob has served Laban faithfully for 20 years, and now God is directing him to go. God has sustained him through bringing no harm to Laban's livestock. And God has given Jacob abundant livestock. Rachel and Leah agree to go. They see the conflict. They see that Laban and their brothers no longer look on them with favor. There's actually anger towards them in their hearts. So now it's time to go. Verse 17 says that they packed up and they headed out immediately. As soon as Rachel and Leah said, let's go, Jacob packed up everything and they start going back. I think it was like 400 mile trek. So they're starting to walk back to the land. There's, there's one thing that stands out in this passage that's a little mind boggling. Rachel decides to take her father's household gods. So it says in there that, that Rachel stole the household gods and took them with her. I, I don't know. I don't know if it was a source of comfort for Rachel. If it was a, maybe she was just lacking confidence in Jacob's plans. But we see her take these household gods and what it does, it actually causes more conflict in the story. Because as Laban comes up, Laban hears after three days, Jacob and his family have fled. They've gone away. So now Laban gathers his family together, his people, and they start chasing after Jacob and the family. God speaks. God intervenes. He goes to Laban and he says, be careful. Be careful, Laban. Be careful not to say anything to Jacob, good or bad. It's a warning. Laban catches up with Jacob after, after 10 days of them being gone. Seven days, they're traveling. Three days, the, the family got ahead. He says, if someone has your gods, then they will be killed. So Jacob is frustrated and angry. And he's like, why would you do this? What have you done? What have you done running away from me? And why did you steal my gods? Jacob says, go ahead, search. We don't have your gods. Jacob didn't know. So Laban searches the camp. He goes into Leah's tent. He goes into Jacob's tent. And then finally, he goes into Rachel's tent. And Rachel can't get up because she tells her father that she's, she's on her period. And she's like, she's just sitting on these household gods. She's got them in a pouch, a camel's pouch, and she's just sitting on them. And they're, they're, they're really, in the, in the narration of the story, if you know the law, the Levitical law, these gods are made to be nothing more than sanitary towels for Rachel. They're worthless. They're unclean. Her lie tells us, the readers, that these are false gods, that these are unclean gods. And Laban can't find them. Laban searches all around. He doesn't find them. And, man, Jacob has this other encounter with Laban. Laban comes back, and Jacob's angry. And he actually, it says, he berated, he berated Laban. He's like, look, I have served you for 20 years. 
I've been faithful to you. God has provided not only for me, but he's provided for you. You've changed my wages 10 times over these 20 years. And then he says, God is on my side. God sees and God has protected me. That's what verse 42 said. He said, if the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had not been on my side, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. God saw my affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked you last night. God intervened. God showed up. He spoke to Laban. And now it's starting to, things are starting to come into clarity. So they decide to make a, a covenant together. Laban and Jacob covenant together. They gather stones as a marker of the covenant. They offer sacrifices and then they depart ways. But this covenant was one that would, that would care for both of them. They would care for one another. They would, not, they would not be enemies of one another any longer. So in this, we see conflict resolution. So in this chapter, as we see God sustaining Jacob in this journey, we see a dependence upon God as Jacob's moving, as Jacob's fleeing, as Jacob's about to enter into the land. He's depending upon God. He's depending on the word of God saying, God, you've said this, so I'm going to go. We see God sustaining power. He sustains Jacob through all of this. He addresses Laban, his adversary, the deceiver of the deceiver. And then within this chapter, we also see a conflict resolution. It's resolved. There's maybe not complete love on all sides, but it seems like they are departing one another peaceably, that there's, there's been peace. So this right here shows, man, God is, God is walking with Jacob. God is sustaining Jacob as he goes through these trials, as he goes on this journey. I just want you to think about being afflicted, thinking about how maybe you've been mistreated in the past. Maybe you're being mistreated now at a job. If you're a follower of Christ, I believe we can take this promise that God is on my side. God has seen your affliction. He's seen my affliction and we can put our trust and walk in dependence upon him. As this chapter ends, Jacob's continuing his journey home. He's going home. And on his way, as chapter 32 opens up, He's met by angels and he's reassured of God's presence and protection. He calls the place Mahanim. This is God's camp. You see, as, as Jacob left the land, right? Last week we saw this. As Jacob left the land, he encountered, he encountered angels ascending and descending this ladder. And the, the Lord above it speaking to him and giving him this blessing. Now as he's entering back into the land, he encounters angels again. You see, God is reminding him of his presence, of who he is. I'm the God of, of Abraham and Isaac. I'm the, I'm the God who will sustain you. I'm the God who is with you, will bless you, will keep you, will guide you. This is who God is. And Jacob needed this because he's about to encounter his brother Esau. I can imagine Jacob shaking in his boots as he is going back home. The last time he, the last time they were together, Esau vowed to murder Jacob. He has stole my birthright 
and my blessing, I'm going to kill him. That's why he was sent away. So now Jacob is entering back into this country, back into the land. And he doesn't know what's going to happen. We don't know what's going to happen. We're reading this. The Israelites are reading this in the wilderness. We're going, all right, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? Is Esau still angry? Is Esau going to murder his brother? Jacob knows God is with him and protects him, yet he still struggles with fear. But as we work our way through chapter 32, we're going to see that God is faithful and he sustains us in our fear. You see, what God is going to do is he's going to turn Jacob's world upside down. He's going to wreck Jacob's life yet again. But it's going to be a good reckoning. Jacob knows he will encounter Esau. He decides in in chapter 32, he decides to send people ahead to find favor with Esau. Maybe I can find favor. He tells his messengers to call Esau Lord. I want you to think about this for a minute, what Jacob's doing here. He says, messengers go and call Esau my Lord and call me his servant. Okay? This is a reversal, a reversal of the blessing Jacob received from Isaac. When Jacob dressed up as Esau and and went and and cooked that meal for him, Isaac Isaac blessed him and said, your brothers will serve you. The younger shall serve the older is what God told uh, Rachel. No, sorry, Rebecca. So there's fear here, and it's causing him to forget God's promises. Again, I think we said this before, but Jacob is on a roller coaster of faith. There are strong evidences of his dependence upon God, walking in step with God. But then on the same, like the same page in the Bible, it seems as if he's forgetting. And I think this is a good reminder for us. This mimics our life a lot of times. We'll be walking in dependence upon God. And then for some reason we forget. And we, we go back to our old ways of life. We're on a roller coaster. We've got to remind ourselves of who God is and what he has promised. So the question that we have to ask and the narrator wants us to ask as Jacob is entering into the land is, will Esau attack and destroy Jacob? What we see in verses 9 to 12 is that fear, right? The fear that's in Jacob's heart, that's in his life, it actually leads to something else. It leads to trust. This crisis in Jacob's life sparks prayer. I want to read verses 9 to 12 because I think it's a beautiful portrayal of dependence upon God. And Jacob says, so this is Jacob praying. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord who said to me, return to your country and to your kindred that I may do you good. I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff, I crossed this Jordan and now I've become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he may come and attack me, the mothers with the children. But you said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. I just want to take a a few minutes and break down this prayer. I think it's a great prayer 
for us to model. It's a, it's a, it's a prayer that, that Jacob prays here in, in complete dependence upon God. First, he, he reminds himself of God's goodness. He says in verse 9, Return to your country and, do, and to your kindred that I may do you good. You are the father of Abraham and God of my father Isaac. God desires to bless his, his children. God wants to do good to his people. You've told me to go back to my home. You promised good in my life, God. This is who you are. And then next he sees his unworthiness. I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. I'm not worthy of your love and faithfulness. Isn't that a great way to come to God? God, you are the, you're the God who created all things. You're the God of, of Abraham and Isaac. I'm unworthy to come to you. I'm unworthy of the love and faithfulness you've shown me. But he also, in his unworthiness and acknowledging that before God, he says, God, I've seen your blessing in my life. I left with a staff as I crossed the river. But now I'm coming back with two camps. God, you've been there. You've provided. You've blessed me abundantly. But then he pleads. He pleads for deliverance. Oh, God, deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau. And he even confesses here in this deliverance. He confesses. I'm 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 fearful. I'm in fear, oh God. He may come and attack me. He may kill my family. But he prays for deliverance. He prays that God would sustain him. And then as he closes out this prayer, he recounts God's promises back to God. Isn't that a a great way to do prayer? (laughs) Right? As we come to God, like we pray the Bible back to him. God, you are steadfast in love. God, you are faithful. God, you are merciful. God, you are gracious. This is how we come to God. You promise, God, to make me into a multitude. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just simply stating what you've already stated. And I know you're faithful. I know you're true to your word. So I know you're going you're gonna to bring this about. My offspring are going to be as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. So Jacob, he prays and then he, he prepares. He prepares a present for Esau to appease him and take away his anger. He is actually in this, as, as you see in verse 13, and then as it ends in 21, this present, is, this present that he's going to present to Esau is, is listed. And what he's trying to do here is he's trying to give back this blessing that he stole from Esau. Again, he's trying to reverse the blessing. So there's, there's still a bit of lack of faith in Jacob. Yet I believe he's trying to walk in dependence. He's like, man, I don't want this fear of man to overtake me. I want to walk in dependence, but, but man, maybe I can, maybe I can do this to, to kind of make this, this wrong right. And in that, again, he's just, he's just going back and forth, back and forth. But the next scene, the next scene will remind him daily of his dependence upon God. He's given a physical reminder every day of his life from chapter 32 on to when he dies. Listen to 24 to 32. And Jacob was left alone. So at this point, he's taken his family across, and now he's alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket. 
And Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with man and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Peniel, limping because of his hip. Therefore to this day the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip in the sinew of the thigh. So here Jacob is alone, and he's attacked by a man. They wrestle all night. We don't know who this man is, just like Jacob doesn't know. The man has superhuman strength because he simply touches Jacob's hip and it pops out of joint. That's super difficult. Like, you can't just touch somebody and their, their hip pop out of joint. Like that, I'm pretty sure that takes tons of pressure to do. I think it's happened a couple times in the NFL or in college football, and it's a gruesome It's a gruesome injury. But this man simply touches Jacob's hip and it pops out a joint. Jacob, at this point, I think he's realizing, okay, this maybe maybe isn't just a man. Because what he does is he says, I want you to bless me. Bless me. It's clicking. Who is this man? In this encounter, Jacob is broken. (laughs) One, One commentator said he's broken, he's named, and he's blessed. He's broken, he's named, and he's blessed. The man asked Jacob's name. He says, what is your name? And Jacob says, my name's Jacob. By saying his name, I think this is a confession of who Jacob is. Remember, his name means deceiver, heel grabber. So he's confessing to this man who he is. And then this man who later on we'll see is some type of incarnation of God here. He says, no longer is your name Jacob, but now your name is Israel, for you have striven with God and prevailed. God who fights is going to be your name. Jacob has fought with God and he's prevailed. For so long Jacob has striven and fought with men. From the day of his birth... He's been in strife with men. Now he's fought with God, and it says he's prevailed. God blesses him, and Jacob immediately worships. I've seen God. I'm going to name this place Peniel because I've seen God face to face, and I've lived. My life has been delivered. This is incredible. It's incredible that that Jacob was able to see God. And his life has been delivered. Moses was said, no, you can't see my face. If you see my face, you'll die. I'll hide you in the cleft of the rock so that when I pass by, you can look on my backside and you can see my glory. Here, Jacob fights with God and he lives. It is during the night, so I don't think he truly can see. He can see the outline, but he can't truly see this man's face. Because I, I think if he saw this man's face, he would die. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. 
And then the narrator gives us a little insight. Hey, the people of Israel don't eat this part of the hip because God touched Jacob's hip. I want you to to listen to these words by Edmund Clowney. I think it gives us some insight into this, this story in the context of the whole Bible. The name of the Lord, remember he doesn't answer him. The name of the Lord is too wonderful for Jacob's ears. The face of the Lord is too glorious for Jacob's eyes. Yet the Lord himself comes that Jacob may know him. His coming to Jacob anticipated his coming to us. Jacob saw the face of the Lord, but dimly. And this is the good news. We see the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Jacob asked for God's own name. We are baptized into the name of the triune God. Through the name of Jesus, exalted above every name, we bear the name of the Almighty God as our Heavenly Father. So the the question, as we see, we'll see Jacob's response here, but the question is how, how would you respond if God showed up? The answer is very clear from the New Testament that God has shown up. (laughs) He's shown up in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Paul explains in 2 Corinthians 4 the problem all of us have. But then he gives us the remedy. He says in their case, talking about humanity, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. You see this already this morning, we've sang about Jesus paid it all. He took our sin upon the cross. This is the good news of the gospel. God has shown up in the work of Christ Jesus. All of us are separated from God because of our sin. We're hopeless. We cannot approach God and see his face. But in Christ, on the cross, Jesus has taken our sin. And now, because he didn't stay dead, but three days later he was raised from the dead. We celebrate that every Sunday, but in two weeks on Easter Sunday, that's what we celebrate. We gather to serve and and worship and, and praise the risen Savior. It says that, yes, the minds of unbelievers have been blinded, And they can't see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. The God-man Christ Jesus came so that we may enter into light. He is the light and the darkness cannot overcome it. For what we proclaim is not ourselves but Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. The call to those who are outside of Christ whose eyes are still blinded whose minds are blinded is to turn from your sin and see the Son who is the light of the gospel. That's who he is. He's the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Like that's, He is the image of God. That's why we gather. That's, that's, the, that's the gospel that we go and proclaim. Man is hopeless outside of Christ Jesus, but in Christ we have life. Oh, that we would turn to Jesus today. For those who are in Christ and for Jacob 
as he's walking in dependence upon God, trusting in the promises that find their yes and amen in Christ. God sustains Jacob in his fear. But by showing up and revealing himself to Jacob, we now see him, we see Jacob going through life with a constant reminder of God's presence and protection. He's limping along but rejoicing in God's goodness. He now approaches his brother whom he said, I am afraid. He now approaches his brother in chapter 33. Yes, God does sustain us in fear, but God also sustains us in our broken relationships. Unfortunately, we have broken relationships in our lives. But the good news for us is that God can sustain us and God can bring reconciliation in those relationships. As we come into chapter 33, <clears throat> we, see, we see brothers are reunited. Jacob lifts up his eyes and, and he sees Esau coming. So then he puts his family in a processional where they'll, they'll meet Esau at different times. But what he does, and I think this is incredible, what he does in his fear, but also in his dependence upon God, verse 4, or really verse 3, says that, that Jacob came to his brother, and this was Esau's response. But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept. And when Esau lifted up his eyes and saw the women and children, he said, Who are these with you? Jacob said, The children whom God has graciously given your servants. Then the servants drew near, they and their children, and bowed down. Leah likewise and her children drew near and bowed down. And last, Joseph and Rachel drew near and they bowed down. Esau said, What do you mean by all this company that I met? Jacob answered, To find favor in the sight of my Lord. But Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. Jacob said, no, please, if I found favor in your sight, then accept my present from my hand. For I've seen your face, which is like seeing the face of God, and you have accepted me. Please accept my blessing that is brought to you because God has dealt graciously with me and because I have enough. Thus he urged him and he took it. You see this beautiful picture here of brothers reunited. Brothers who are at enmity with one another. This is what God can do. He can reunite. We see the humility of Jacob here. Jacob comes to his brother bowing, kneeling. And then we see Esau forgiving. Jacob, you deceived me. You stole my blessing. You stole my birthright. But he comes to him. He grabs him up and he kisses him. I mean, just think about this embrace between these brothers who haven't seen each other in 20 years. There's a, there's a sweet embrace here. There's forgiveness here. We see reconciliation here. Jacob's prayer is answered. Deliver me, O God, for I fear Esau. Done. God says it's done. Deliverance has come in the form of reconciliation. God can mend these broken relationships. He sustains us through these conflicts. What we saw, Jacob prayed. Why don't we start praying for these relationships in our lives that are broken? Maybe they're with unbelievers. And what a great opportunity to bring reconciliation to those relationships and share about the greatest reconciliation found in Christ Jesus. We're given this ministry of reconciliation. This is what we get to do. And then as chapter 33 ends, yes, we see, we see these brothers reunited, these brothers reconciled, but then 
What we see is worship. Jacob worships. As Esau and Jacob part ways in the land, Jacob goes to Shechem and buys a piece of land. This is the second time we've seen the land purchased. One, a cave for burial spot for Sarah. Now we see a piece of land bought. And then he worships God. He builds an altar and he calls it the God, the God of Israel. El Elohe Israel, the God, the God of Israel. He worships God for his sustaining power. As we draw to a close today, I want to call Eric back up so we can sing Blessed Assurance. A couple of questions. Will you, will we trust God's sustaining power in our lives? Will we trust that in Christ, God sustains us each and every day? And then secondly, will you choose to walk in dependence upon him today and every day? Right? Yes, we see Jacob. We see Jacob on this roller coaster, going back and forth, back and forth. And many times that, that characterizes our lives. I think that's one of the, one of the main reasons <clears throat> we want to be in fellowship with one another. Why we need to be in each other's lives. So we can call one another out when we see us straying. But also so we can encourage one another to continue to fight the good fight. To continue to finish the race. To continue to run with endurance. Yes, we see character flaws. But we also see a man walking in dependence upon God. Gordon Wenham says that should inspire us. And he draws from Hebrews 12.1. He says, looking at Jacob's faith, and he's, he has a flawed faith. All of us can agree on that. But may his faith in the promises and his endurance inspire his spiritual descendants, those who now are children of Abraham because of Christ Jesus. May that inspire his spiritual descendants to run with perseverance the race that is set before us. Oh, that we would run in perseverance, daily depending on God to sustain us every single day. Let's pray. Father, you are so good. You're faithful. Your steadfast love is abundant in our lives. May we recognize that. May we see our unworthiness to be recipients of that. But Lord, may that drive us to complete dependence upon you in our relationships at work, in our relationships in our neighborhoods, in our families, with our friends. Oh God, may we be light and salt because we know the light of the world. God, we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.